Coming up next, this is the Ender's Game. Ender's Game, my friend, the Ender's Game. Hey everybody, welcome Hi. to the Bookening. We are today doing a Patron's Choice series, beginning one, and we could not be more excited. I, of course, am Nathan, your humble and obedient host, and we've got Brandon, the scholar who's a baller of reading right there. Hey. Scholar baller books, I should say. Yeah. Ghost Brandon himself. How are we doing today, Brandon? Pretty well. How are you, Nathan? fantastic we're both rocking black t-shirts today at least i think yeah. yours is a black t-shirt that's a sweat it's actually a dark blue sweater a d- okay well one of us is rocking a black t-shirt the other one is rocking a dark blue sweater and jake should be as far as i know joining us any moment folks he would appear to be running late but we're not going to let that deter you from giving you the Quality content that you want and you deserve regarding Orson Scott Card's Ender's Game. <coughs> so, yeah. What do you think about that Orson Scott Card, Brandon? I don't know, man. I'm, 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 I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna talk about him today. I'm not gonna pass too much judgment. I've decided that sci-fi is just something I should let be. <laughs> sci-fi can keep to itself and. You can keep yeah, it yourself. And- I can keep to myself and we can be perfectly happy in that the other has room to exist and that's about it. <laughs> well, I think Jake's going to defend this one. I think, I think, I mean, but Jake and sci-fi just get along better yeah, than well, he do. He can defend it all he wants. I <coughs> Should we put I, it on I, trial? I might, I might prefer sandworms to this. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, wow. Okay. That seems a little harsh to me. So, Brandon really didn't like that. This is the one. This is interesting, folks. This is a storm's a brewing. This will be I a didn't battle. hate it. I just, I'm like most, I, wh- I don't know what's going on with me in sci-fi, Nathan, but every time we read one of these works, I just leave completely indifferent. That's really interesting. I mean, eh, there's not a lot of human stuff to connect to. And like, I guess it's just not what you read for. Yeah. It's basically, it's like the Marvel. So, lately, we've, in my family, we've just sort of given up Marvel. Yeah. And uh, I don't miss it. No. No, and me For neither. a while there, it just wasn't really doing anything for me. So, I think it's in the same camp. Yeah. We it's not saw. what I'm looking for when I go to my stories. Yeah, when you crack a page. Well, this is going to be fun to litigate. I, I won't say where I fall. I'll, I'll keep people in suspense about that. But I um, know for a fact that Jake enjoyed this book just fine and so everyone's following them along predictable lines so far i guess we've showed our card (laughs) (laughs) yeah (sighs) showed our cards early but as i was reading this i just thought the only thing i wanted to end was this novel that's a pun on the title of the novel ender's game Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) well folks I'm stalling a little bit because I keep thinking Jake's going to walk through the door into Mario. He's old... missing all the fun. He's missing all the fun. And it's it's a little hard to just hear Brandon's grouchy, grumpy. 
Jake's off fighting alien that look like bugs. Yeah. He just told us that his internet is down. Oh, no. Jake has, like, super fiber crap. So that must really be down. Wow. Well, that's sad. I guess we're going on sans Jake today. What's that sound? Oh, my goodness. It's two pistols being unloaded very unsafely. And, folks, you know what that means? That means it's time for the contextual Texan. He's going to give us some much, much needed context on Orson Scott Carr today in Ender's Game. Now, Brandon, you've been looking forward to this context, I think, since the beginning of the booking. You've been begging us to let you talk about Orson Scott Card, share all the details, and just exude a love of sci-fi as you do. Yeah, I guess. <sighs> well, take oh, it away, Oh, man, sir. you know what? 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 I loved the book. It's great. It's fantastic. I wish I could read it every year. <laughs> it's the new War and Peace. Wow. It was expanded it. from a short story into a novel the year we were born, Nathan. I'm aware of that fact, Brandon. That's the only piece of context I have. No! No, I've, I got the fact that he kind of looks like a hobbit. Does he? I don't look that. I'm gonna yeah, look him up. up. Orson Scott Card. I have the fact that it seems like, this isn't all I read, but it seems like his Wikipedia page is carefully monitored by the LDS church. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, would not surprise me <laughs> uh, his wikipedia page was surprisingly even-handed when i looked at it this morning how so nathan well even-handed in the sense that the lgbt lobby didn't just destroy him which is what i was actually expecting so yeah i mean maybe he does have that he does have that going for him there was some there was some ballast against the more progressive element of card scholarship so yeah i mean this guy so he writes a lot about these like child this is my understanding i, I this is my first orson scott card novel to read mm -hmm. first I of had many friends i had friends in high school who all loved this guy <coughs> i somehow i well i avoided it because even back then the idea of some bug aliens and all that jazz just didn't excite me all that much but apparently most of his works are about a child, sort of like a this child with extraordinary abilities, right? Mm -hmm. Saving the world. Is that true? There's He certainly does the sort of chosen one-ish things more than once. Yeah. Well, I think part of this comes back, goes back to his childhood. Um, again, most of what I read seems to be carefully monitored by the LDS church. Mm -hmm. And they stress the fact that when he was in elementary school he was part of the gifted and talented group of students hey and something about where did i read this oh i'm gonna have to go find the source something he did something within a year what was it that he did within a year boy nathan <coughs> when beginning his college studies yeah he didn't do that in a year <coughs> apparently he went to high school in a year is that possible is that true does that seem like a bogus fact to you Oh, I see. He, um, here, let's just, Wikipedia would probably say too, wouldn't it? Yeah, let's see here. I always just double check your facts there. But I had another source. Where did I see that? I think it was in an interview. Or okay, let's see here. I think I found the source. Da, 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 da. Card attended BYU's, this is from Wiki, Brigham Young University, 
where he took both high school and early college level classes before graduating in one year. Yeah, so here it is, the Utah year. So I found this weird fan site that went into detail of his life. Uh-huh. More than Wikipedia did. At age 16, Carb moved with his family to Orem, Utah, so his father could take a position at Brigham Young University. After a year at Brigham Young High School, a private academy associated with the university, Card graduated. So, he graduated at 16. Wow. I mean, he was apparently fairly gifted and talented at that <coughs> age. So, let's see. He read... What did I see? What does his dad... What did his dad do? I think he worked at Brigham Young, didn't he? Well, he did there, but his, his dad was... He could begin a, his, a, a paint signing business. He didn't go there, though, because he was an academic, right? Yeah. Either way... He grew up in both Utah and California, and he comes from a long line of Mormons. Are we like, is that the right word to say? Uh, sure, yeah. Um, I guess. Is that, yeah. That's not like racist somehow? No, I think you can call okay. them Mormons. That's what they are. <laughs> yeah, but he's in the line of uh, Brigham Young. Yeah, direct. He's one of his, he's one of his ancestors. Yeah. So, he grew up in a house where they loved literature and they loved theater. And let me go back to this other source. This is... To young Scott living in Santa Clara. So, they lived in Santa Clara, California for a while where his dad, I think, had a paint signing business or something. A signed painting business. There you <laughs> go. Didn't try to paint. <laughs> a paint signing to, business, yeah. He didn't try to sign any paint. paint. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, he lived in, Mill he went to Millican Elementary, then wandering through orchards and dr exploring dry creek beds with his friends or hopping on his bicycle and riding down to the Santa Clara Library where he devoured all the books in the children's section and then sneaked into the adult section to discover the new genre of science fiction. This says the then new genre of science fiction, and this would have been in the 19, what, 1960s and 70s? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. What are you, is that true, Nathan? Was science fiction brand spanking new in the 70s? In the 1970s? <laughs> That's what it says. No, not remotely. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about H.G. Wells and... Yeah, you, that would have been downstream of right. Yeah, that would have been downstream of Jules Verne, H.G. Wells, all the pulp stuff, the day the Earth stood still, flying saucer movies. Well, we're, we're going to have to go back to that because we're going to provide together a little bit of context on sci-fi, right? Yes, absolutely. So, anyways, Card it says was always eclectic in his reading. At eight okay. years of age, he read The Prince and the Pauper. Hey. Other historical novels, he read Civil War and French and Indian War by Joseph Altscheller. I don't know a lot of these. He read Gone with the Wind. There, there you go. Just beginning to, this is, the, this is what he, so the Wikipedia just said he read classic novels. Yeah, right. And now we're beginning to see what these classic novels were. Apparently at the same age, he read The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. Oh, okay. Well, that's pretty intense. That is intense. I mean, I'm not... I don't want to take away from the fact that this kid was, you know, apparently pretty talented. The same A, all right, uh, he also read the Bible and collections of sermons by Mormon prophets. He was also fascinated by histories and medicine and by books about the exploits of archaeologists. And I think this comes from one of his, so he's written two books apparently on the art of writing. Have you read either of these? I think that I actually have read one of them in my life, but I have very vague yeah. memories. Well, of he it. advises young writers to learn everything about everything. So, there you go. If you want to be a writer, learn everything about everything. Just as important, he inherited a love of performing and especially music. Even though he was a gifted child, my understanding is in elementary school, he was always playing like the French horn or something. Is that right? I think so. Yeah, he played clarinet and the French horn. So, he was more interested in music than he was in elementary school, uh, music than he was his other studies. 
At the age 10, he wrote his first story that actually Ender's Game was going to be based on, or at least a part of Ender's Game was going to be based on, about a gifted, brilliant child who's assaulted by bullies and gets brain damage. Huh. Have you read this? I have not. Sounds like maybe he was drawing on some personal experience there, though. Yeah, I think he probably was. Let's see. There's a link to this. Orson Scott Card, writer of The Terrible Choice. And uh, we're getting something, Nathan. We can get this book in full. No, you can't. Never mind. Okay. I wanted to read where that was verified, but... And see if maybe he didn't have some experiences like that in his own childhood. Let's Mm. see. He loved Broadway. He loved musicals, things like that. And that would affect his writing early in college. He would write a bunch of screenplays. Not screenplays. He would write a bunch of... um, scripts for plays at his at uh, BYU when he attended there. Hmm. And so, that was some of his first early writing, and I think that would color a lot of his later writing as well. He was a devoted member of the LDS Church. His family was a very devoted member of the LDS Church, and so, he took those early classes at Brigham Young University, you know, graduated And then before graduating actually from college, he would serve as a missionary in Brazil, and that's where he would meet his wife, Kristen Allen. I think that's right. I got distracted into the house. Who's there? So what? That would be a shame. Made for good podcasting, wouldn't it? That would make it for a great true crime podcast if you just died. My daughter, Alyssa. Oh. He married Kirstie Alley. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, it's Kristen Allen. So, they met, actually, they met when she was in the chorus of a roadshow card directed before his mission, so right before he went on this mission, and he was amazed at her intellectual rigor, and they got married. <coughs> but it, anyways, it was at college where he would sort of develop his interests. He got his BA and an MA in English at the University of Utah. He went on to the University of Notre Dame to pursue his PhD, but dropped out so that he could start doing more lucrative writing projects because it was around the same time that he was beginning to have some success as a writer. He was getting things published and he decided at first to do sci-fi because he thought that would be the easiest thing to get published. Hmm. And lo and behold, it worked for him. He began to get a little bit of a name for himself and he got the short story that would eventually become known would eventually be developed into the novel Ender's Game. He got that published in 1977 in an issue of Analog. Mm. And then in 1985, he would expand that into the book we have today. He's continued to have quite a bit of success. I don't know if anything is as popular as the Ender's Game series. Is that true? That's true, yeah. But either way, he's won some awards. He won the Nebula. He's was a finalist, at least, for the Nebula Award. And... The other thing to know about him, so he's still alive, but, and he's teaching, I think, at Southern Virginia University or something like that. He's written a couple of books on writing. He's had some other successes, but again, nothing quite as essential or as important as Ender's Game. I think there was recently a movie made about it. Is that true? Uh, Ender's Game, In yeah. 2000, 2013. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe Is that the one that had Harrison Ford? Old, grumpy, tired Harrison Ford, yeah. Yeah. Around the same time that they did the movie The Giver, is that right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. They were they were trying to. I think Hunger Games had come out, so they were scouring the shelves of the YA novels and adapting everything that had some popularity, and most of them were miserable failures. Yeah. But anyways, so I think that he's pretty much stuck to sci-fi, right? Mm-hmm. 
though he's had some other works. I think he's had, actually, he's written quite a bit. So if we look at his bibliography, good grief. He's got Ender's Game, The Tales of Alvin Maker, The Homecoming Saga, Women of Genesis, Post uh, Past Watch series, Mither Mages series, Mayflower, The Worthing series, The Empire series, Pathfinder series, Laddertop series, Miscellaneous novels, short story collections. So this guy has been prolific along the lines of a Stephen King, is what it seems. Yeah, and I guess to be fair, he does a lot of alternate history. He does a lot of stuff that would be considered fantasy. The line, as we'll probably talk about, the lines between the different varieties of speculative fiction are so nebulous that you could kind of say that he's just a sci-fi author, but technically he he does... I'd say it's all speculative fiction one way or another. Yeah. Well, I mean, so just not to drag on the bio longer than we need to here, it kind of boils down to Faithful, committed LDS guy, grew up in an LDS family, was a gifted and committed student, but always creative, seems to have been actually legitimately academically gifted, Mm -hmm. was going to go the route of becoming a professor, but also liked to write and got a gig writing science, uh, sci-fi short stories, realized that that would pay and the rest is history. The rest is history. So, that's kind of who Orson Scott Card is in a nutshell. Seems to be a decent guy. I th- as far as I could tell, he's, I think he's been married to the same lady and he's got five kids. Yeah, he's kind of just a traditional Mormon, uh, down to the fact that he has gotten in a lot of hot water over his anti-homosexuality kind of yeah. uh, view. And so that's kind of, we do need to touch on that. Um, there was a boycott of the movie in 2013 because of a Salon article, I think, that was written. Is that is that the right timeline? That sounds about right, yeah. Was the Salon article written first? I'm not sure. Either way, this article, I didn't I didn't take the time to read it, but I should have. I don't know if you have read this. I'm but familiar with the controversy. Him. I mean, he's he, he yeah. wrote a number of works that feature gay characters and in not the most flattering light and some things that sort of link homosexuality to predatory or pedophilic behavior and within his novels. Yeah. yeah and so novels. somebody did a reading of his books and all the various homosexual characters in these novels and did a, 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 a uh, what do they call those survey? Uh, no, a, an article that's meant to oh, like a attack a down. You know what I'm talking about? It has a particular name. Yeah. What's the word for those? A, um, it's not a cancel, uh, uh <coughs> not a cancel piece, not an attack piece, not a dirty piece. Uh, a mudslinging article. A mudslinger, a takedown. It's yeah, got a particular name. There's a very particular And neither name. of us are coming up with this. Yeah. It's uh, frustrating me. Article. Um, anyways, this article came out and this is in 2013 when... Hit piece. Or it's, yeah, hit piece. Thank you. Wow. When the whole debate over homosexuality was raring and mm-hmm. nasty, and so he was one of the victims of it. This was even really before cancel culture became a thing. Right. But they attempted to cancel him, and I guess jokes on them, he was already, I mean, other than Ender's Game, nobody really remembered who Orson Scott Card was at this time. Right. right? But still, they did it because of the movie, and... I don't know. I don't know if it had a, a success. Did, was the movie successful? I think it did it's okay. I don't. I don't think it was a huge success. I don't know how much of that had to do with the hit piece, but anyways, a lot of that also comes from his religion. I mean, as a devout Mormon, 
he believes that homosexuality is a sin. Right. And so, in that sense, it would be the same as if either of you, either of us, started writing some stories and became famous. I guess inevitably, we would see ourselves in the crossfires of cancel culture. Sure. Absolutely. Because of things like this. So, either way, it was going to happen to the guy. And you have to give him some... He hasn't seen... He hasn't backed down. He hasn't seemed to clarify or try to work his way out of what they're saying against him, right? Right. No, he's even written essays explicitly so, arguing that homosexuality should be banned and things like yeah. this. I mean, he's pretty pretty staunch, pretty conservative in a way that yep. you don't see too often in public life these days. Yep. Yeah, so it has had repercussions. And so this guy, his commitment to his belief has has cost him professionally. Apparently, he was supposed to be a guest author for DC's Comics Adventures of Superman. Mm-hmm. But it was canceled because of that. So, he has definitely suffered for what he believes. And in that sense, there's a lot to admire about the guy. Yeah. You know, he's been faithful to his wife. He's got five kids. He's got this book series that's popular. So, yeah. There you go, Nathan. There you go. So, the only other thing I wanted to talk about, but actually I think you're going to help and maybe even just do it, Nathan. Let's talk a bit about... Well, uh, science fiction is a a species, as I was saying earlier, of speculative fiction. I'm sure we must have talked about it before, I guess. Yeah, we definitely have. With with Dune or Wrinkle in Time or one of those things. This will not not be the first time we've talked about sci-fi. No. The term science fiction was invented by an American publisher named Hugo Gernsback in the 1920s. It's a relatively modern genre. I mean, people will try and argue that there are things that are antecedents or they'll say that uh, such and such a thing by the, you know, Lucian, the Greek, his trip to the moon or the voyage to the moon uh, utopia thing written by Cyrano de Bergiac or Gulliver's Travels or things from Voltaire. People will argue that those qualify as science fiction but really most critics point to good old our old friend mary shelley and frankenstein or the modern prometheus from 1818 as the first more or less modern work of science fiction insofar as it's telling basically of a fantastical story a story about unnatural things that can't happen but it's it's rooting it in real world science and people will argue about hard science fiction and soft science fiction and is star wars science fiction because it's not explaining any of the science or is it really more fantastical and all those terms are kind of loosely defined and loosely held and people will argue for one thing or the other thing but basically i'd say for for the layman anything that is a series of speculative or fantastical fiction that tries to connect in some way to connect its speculative and fantastic elements in some ways to technology and to the way the world actually works. So there's very hard sci-fi that tries to speculate exactly, you know, how would time travel work? How could we clone dinosaurs? And then there's the really soft sci-fi like your Star Wars or something like that. And actually Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is very soft sci-fi because what Dr. Frankenstein does amounts to magic in the novel, even though it has a vague scientific sheen to it. It's not like 
besides knowing something about galvanization and electricity, maybe, although I don't remember how much those elements are even, are those elements emphasized in the novels or do those come more from the Boris Karloff movies? Sorry there. Yeah. I I mean, they definitely mention it some. The galvanization, the conversation about galvanization is what Mary Shelley claims led her to have her dream. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's, that's right. That's right. It's been a long time since I've, well, it's been since we've read Frankenstein that I've thought that much about Frankenstein because it's not one of my favorite novels. And so in, in any case, I, I think it's, it's the, the definitions are pretty loose is, is my point. But you have people like Edgar Allan Poe who wrote speculative fiction based on science. Certainly Jules Verne in the 1800s was able to predict a lot of things like, the submarines and well submarines i guess would be the main thing and and create a lot of tropes like time machines and things like that but hg wells in the late 1800s and early 1900s really codified a lot of these things and uh, what i think hg wells is responsible for is and you could say that there's that every science fiction uh book or story does this one way or another certainly frankenstein does it but hg wells was very overt about using sci-fi to talk about the issues of his day and the, and particularly to speculate about things that scared people like invasion england was surrounded by a lot of really hostile nations in the late 1800s and everybody was speculating about what it would be like if the germans just came and invaded them and raised them to the ground and actually it was worth them speculating about that because in 1914 it happened and then in the later middle 20th century it happened again with world war one and world war two and so hg wells just took those fears and magnified them a little bit into war of the worlds and he would do this again and again with his different novels which function almost like parables and that's something that science fiction can do very well so you have that strain of responsible science fiction, people bandying about big ideas. And then you have the 1920s sort of strain of pulp science fiction where they're just like, let's do ray guns and girls and stuff that boys like, stuff that men will enjoy reading. And let's emphasize the monsters and the gizmos and let's just strip anything socially irresponsible out of this and 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 make it as silly as possible and that's amazing stories magazine and science wonder stories and things like that but then but then you have people at the same time who are handling it responsibly or at least thinking about big ideas and that's Isaac Asimov and that's some of the names that you might know you know your Arthur C Clarke and but they come up through the pulps and then they write novels and then the other thing about it is that as soon as Hollywood really takes off in the 1920s and the 1930s, really Hollywood is the home of science fiction. It's it's such a perfect medium for visual invention and for for visuals in general. So really, a lot of what's informing our ideas of future societies and of future technologies is movies and then later television. But you still need people to come up with the ideas and... All the names that you might have heard of um, existed somewhere kind of in between the publishing industry and the television industry and the movie industry throughout the middle 20th century. So that's Arthur Clarke, who wrote 2001. That's Isaac Asimov. That's 
other people like that, Philip K. Dick, certainly. But Orson Scott Card coming along in the 70s is kind of drawing on all those traditions. Ender's Game is very much drawing on the more pulpy tradition of let's fight bugs, space combat kind of stuff. But it also wants to sort of examine society and ask some big questions and get at something about human nature through its sci-fi conceits. So it's kind of combining both strains. And I suppose it's worth noting that he wrote, he released the short story in analog, as Brandon said, in 1977. That's the same year that Star Wars came out. And by the time he completed the novel, there'd be two Star Wars movies already out. And, you know, the Spielberg Lucas sort of movie golden age of sci-fi spectacle had taken off. So Orson Scott Card was kind of on the cusp of all that. And then he's managed to exist and kind of have his own little cutesy cottage industry in the middle of all that. But when he finally tried to make his own mark with his Ender's Game movie, it flopped. I'm seeing here it was actually a big box office bomb. So and Ender's Game was? Ender's Game was, yeah. So I don't know, Brandon, I, I, I don't usually do this. I feel a little naked. Was that good? Is that did I say that was great? You said I think you said you everything that needs to be said. No, I mean, as we were approaching this novel, I don't want to sell it short. Like, just trying to think of the things I would want someone to know before entering into it. It's really kind of that sci-fi context in his context as an LDS, and because that matters, I think you'll see it come through some of the ethics and that one of his themes is the child's prodigy. You'll see that come through, but really. I don't think there's a whole lot more that you need as far as context for this particular novel. No. So. No, I don't think so. <coughs> he has a weird mix of, he's basically a neoconservative, but he does oppose the death penalty and things like that. I mean, he's he's kind of a conservative, but not exactly, like all of his viewpoints wouldn't align with our viewpoints, for example. And I don't just mean religiously, but his his kind of hot button viewpoints um he'd be he i think he probably tends a little bit more pacifist i don't know if he'd call it i don't think he'd call himself a pacifist but he just he goes that direction and you can de that definitely informs the way that this novel plays out is that an lds thing do you know i don't i don't know um lds it's been a long time since i've interacted with mormons i used to have a mormon boss but <coughs> i um yeah i don't think that Mormons are specifically pacifist in the way that like a Quaker would be or something like that. But they do tend towards extreme friendliness and sort of, you know, the stereotypes. Yeah. Well, that's everything I've got. Got anything else, Brandon? No. It was like a short episode, but then we also didn't spend 10 minutes at the upfront bantering. So, well, this is, the, this is what everybody wants. Yeah. I don't know. You, you got any banter? No. No. My banter fuel is gone, man. Your banter fuel is gone. Well, maybe we can fuel up for some banter when Jake joins us next time. <coughs> yeah. And maybe I won't be as sick. Well, sick. I am a little sick, I'm afraid. Uh -oh, sick of your healthy. viewpoints on sci-fi. You got Omicron variant? Yeah, probably. Uh-oh. I think I might have all the variants. You're like uh, the the nexus of all the variants i am the nexus of all the variants the variant well, nexus that's like a really there is a sci-fi villain yeah the variant nexus 
Yeah. It'd either be a sci-fi villain or one of those kind of late 80s uh, giant Tom Clancy kind of novels, like a Born Ultimatum kind of... Yeah, rain- uh, the Rainbow Coalition or whatever y- it was. Yeah, 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 the Variant Coalition. <laughs> what was it? Rainbow, Rainbow Six? Rainbow-, Rainbow, Rainbow Six, yes. Yeah. Somebody got Rainbow me that coalition. Christmas. <laughs> yeah, the Rainbow Coalition. That's something else. <laughs> Pretty sure they're the ones that didn't want Ender's Game to get published or as a movie or whatever. Yeah, that Rainbow Coalition. Well, hey, listen, can you tell me what charles dickens novel each one of these patrons is sure okay robert and ronda the lovebirds david copperfield mm, yeah yardful anthony dodger oliver twist little anthony cigar store um does it have to be a novel what else would it be like a, a character well or? it could be a novella oh sure it could be a novella yeah um the christmas carol nice good for anthony the immortal chelsea e what the Immortal Chelsea. Sorry. Immortal, sorry. The Immortal oh, Chelsea. the old curiosity shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holding out to see who Martin Chuzzlewoods is. Jimmy Beam and Little Annie Oakley. Little Dorrit. Lily of the Valley. Uh, no, 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 no. They, 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 they go, I'm going back. They are Martin, Martin Chuzzlewit because there's a section of Martin Chuzzlewit where they go to America. And it makes uh, sense for Jimmy Beam and Little Annie Oakley to have that. Yeah, they are some of our most American patrons. That's true. They have a name that's very American. They do. Uh, Lily of the Valley. Pickwick Papers. Interested. The Lovebirds. You know we're going to run out of these, right? Yeah. Well, we'll come up with something new as soon as we do. <laughs> Barnaby Rudge. Barnaby Rudge. Uh, the Keith Master. Have I said the old curiosity shop? You have. <laughs> did I? Yeah. Are you going off of memory uh, here? Did I say don't be in, son? No, you didn't. Nicely done. Okay. David's Mighty Men Trucking? This will be fun. Let's see if I can get them all. I think I can. Great Expectations. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't covered some that classics. Uh, John and Jill and Little Baby Max. Hard Times. Uh, Jay and Katie who are cold and love cheese and also C.S. Lewis including Shall We Have Phases? I think we're getting close to having said them all. How many have we said so far? I've only got like 16. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. <coughs> okay. Of the Mystery of Edwin Drood. Uh, Fairy Princess mm-hmm. of Wonder and Happiness, Mother Beth. Our Mutual Friend. That was the one I was thinking of. Consul Prime Adam. Tell of Two Cities. Uh, I don't think I've said that one yet. That's an easy, that's low-hanging fruit right yeah, there. Yeah, that's low-hanging fruit. Nathan, not me? <sighs> I said Nicholas Nickleby already. Ooh, I don't know. I don't think I did. Nicholas Nickleby. All right. Ryan the Red Avenger. And Judith that may, and the that may be it. I'm going to pull up. Let's see. No, no, no. I thought of one. Did you actually say Tale of Two Cities? I did. Okay. I just said that was low-hanging fruit. Oh, did you say Bleak House? Oh, no, I didn't. Yikes. Well, who who gets to get Bleak House? Uh, I guess Ryan the Red Avenger, Judith of the Ladies of Justice. Yeah, they're Bleak House, man. Yeah, they are Bleak House, man. Okay. So I said Pickwick Papers, Oliver Twist, Nicholas Nickleby, Old Curiosity Shop, Barnaby Rudge, Martin Chuzzlewit. They're a series of Christmas novellas. Anyways, Don't Be in Sun, David Copperfield, Bleak House, Hard Times, Little Dorrit, Tell Two Cities, Great Expectations, Our Mutual Fan, and The Mystery of Evan Drew. Yeah, I think there you said them all. That's amazing. What's another author who has a large output of well-known works? William Faulkner. <laughs> all right. Yeah. All right. So what William Faulkner novel is DJ Sammy G? Absalom, Absalom. Benny Dana Tiberius? Sound and the Fury. Eric and Catherine from Yon Window Breaks? As I Lay Dying. Professor and Lady X? Sanctuary. Lavender's Green, Dylan, Dylan, Love. In August. No Constrictor. Hmm. Trying to see. I know I have him somewhere up on my shelves and I have way more than I need, but the Unvanquished, that's one, right? Let's see here. Um, where was I? Noah Constrictor? 
Merichip. Yeah. Requiem for a nun. The fair and fragrant maiden Chloe. Intruder in the dust. Anthony, who is cold and hates life, liberty, and the pursuit of cheese. Sartorius. Jujitsu Jeffrey, the Texas Ranger. His first novel, Mosquitoes. That wasn't his first one, but Mosquitoes. The Midnight Ninja Ellen. Soldier's Pay. That was his first one. The Return of the Dead Die. I'm getting, I'm getting some deep. Yeah, these are oh, cuts. Gosh. The Town. Jay Rack and Ruin. The Hamlet. Timothy the Rider at Dawn. What's that family's name? Is it the the Rivers, the Reavers, the Rivers? Rivers, R-E-I-V-E-R-S, something like that? Them. Eric and Kate, the Camp Jam Kings, who are warm and love bees. Go down, Moses. Maddie, Maddie, Matt, That's man. probably all I can remember. I don't know if I can come up with any others. Pylon. Sweet Jamie Sunshine. I'm going to cheat, see if there's any on my shelf that I haven't said yet. You said as the I went dying, I right? Yeah, did I say the Hamlet? Yeah, you did. Oh, that's it, guys. I don't have any more, but Blast. I will take a round of applause for that. All right, let's see how far Hemingway takes us. Tyler, the Keeper of Eternal Darkness, and Laura, the Keeper of Eternal Light. The sun also rises. <coughs> Cold Steel Cody. The old man in the sea. Jacqueline, the librarian, barbarian. Uh, a farewell to arms. John Bombadilla, Bomb Diggity, and Captain Daniel, his mate. Don't think this is going to get us very far. For whom the bell tolls. Saxophone Alex. A movable feast. The other saxophone Alex and Dubstep Danny. Does he have any others that are really all that famous? What's the bullfighting one? I think I already said the sun also rises, right? No, there's another bullfighting one. Death in the afternoon. Yeah. Okay, guess, yeah. Guess that counts. Well, yeah, we can start saying his short stories, I guess. But Isn't that a book length thing? Yeah, it yeah. is. You're right. Uh, did you say so, to have and have not? No, I didn't. Well, look at me. I'm I'm Mr. Hemingway, knowledge man here. Wow. Ben Solo and Kyla Wren get get to have and have not. All right. I guess that's all the Hemingway, though, unless you want to do short stories. Nah. Name another writer. This is testing our knowledge. Okay. Uh, <coughs> oh, boy. Uh, who's another writer? I have to think of another writer. I mean, they're the ones that we would just know. Yeah. Like Jane Austen. We want to test our understand our knowledge of somebody. There's Joseph Conrad. Okay, yeah, we can try that. Uh, that that actually might know. get us home. <laughs> so John, the Cosmic King of Chaos. Nostromo. I'll do a deeper, deeper cut there. M- Matthew, the Mind Flayer. <sighs> oh, for some reason I thought we were going back and forth, but no, that's all me. Um, the Heart of Darkness. I mean, I'll I'll try and help you out if you get stuck. Any? Are you okay? Get your gun. There's the one that I can't say. The yes, blank of the Narcissus. Okay, we'll give that to Annie. Sorry, Annie. Flight of the Valerie. Typhoon. Uh, the Thor Ragnajosh. It's the secret agent. Man, the secret agent, man. Steven dot dot dot. Lord Jim. Peglodon. The Arrow of Gold. Isn't that one? That doesn't sound familiar to me, but I trust you. Uh, Christopher the Flower Hulk. Almir's Folly. Lady of the Crystal Lake? There's got to be other ones. Yeah, you would think. The Rescue. The Rescue. That's one. The Rescue. <coughs> Ian, the Death of Marian, Lord of Death. I think I'm drawing a blank on any others. He's got a lot, though. Should we just look up and see what they are? Yeah, why not? I'm kind of curious. An Outcast now. of the Islands. There's one. Emily Nightshade, the Haunter of Dreams. The Inheritors. All About the Benjamin. Romance. Mysterious Phantom. Under Western Eyes. Jeremy, the dark-hooded Lord of Death, and his brooding bride, the Shadow Line, and and that's it. That's it. You're right. He brought us home. Did we have more 
that we could have slathered on there. Yeah, chance, victory, the nature of a crime, the rover, suspense. Wow. He's got a lot. He was prolific. He was a prolific dude. All right, folks. Well, we'll be back next week with Jake and Brandon for the trial of Ender's Game. I'm going to Ender's Game. Jake's going to game Brandon's Ender. Game on. Game on. Game on.